Brought to you by Leaving in the Ring, all boxing, no filter. Don't forget, we're, we're live every Monday night on YouTube and Blog Talk. Oh! That's another knockdown! He's not getting he up, he's not getting up, he's not getting up, he's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out! It's over! Mamma mia, he's done it! Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko! AJ does it in style! Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit! It's Fisgianato's Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Friday, March 27th, and this is the Fisgianato's podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Emma Murkowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We're brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Um, all right, guys, we are in a completely new world. Uh, so I guess I'm just going to start out by saying, you know, I'm going to try and keep this podcast as normal as possible. If you're listening to this, um, I mean, we're, it's Friday, March 27th. Obviously, we are in like week two or three of sort of the coronavirus dominating what's happening in, in life as well in terms of sports. Um, but this podcast episode, I'm just going to try to keep it as normal as, normal as possible. I mean, I will do a small review section um, and look at what happened over the last two weeks. <clears throat> I'm after this episode, obviously like the review section um, is, is really just not going to happen on a temporary basis. And then I hope we get to a preview section really soon. I covered the coronavirus, uh, sort of the initial stages of it last episode, which is about two, you know, 16 days ago at this point, a little over two weeks ago, I will probably do a show uh, and last week I talked about it on the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast with Chris Mannix. Listen to either of those two. I mean, at this point, some of the information might even be outdated. Um, but if if you want to hear more about that, listen to those episodes. For right now, I'm going to try to no- just go back to normal. And I had kind of, uh, you know, depending on, I, w- I was thinking going forward, next episode I'll do a coronavirus sort of update episode. Um, I've stayed close sort of close to what's happening in, in, in the world, um, in the sports world, certainly. And I think, I I think we might have enough new information that next episode, uh, and and maybe enough of a timeline that next episode it's worth talking about again. But if not, I'm just going to try to do some evergreen content and kind of get your minds off this because this is all that anyone's talking about right now. Uh, depending on how long this thing goes, you know, I basically, I guess what I'm asking is if there's specific stuff you guys want, just hit me up on Twitter, email me. And if it's worth doing a deep dive on, that's kind of what this podcast is now. So it's just the deep dive. So I'm happy to do stuff like that uh, for, for really big ideas where we could go back I've, every once, every six months or so, I've done a Q&A type episode here. I can do that too, but I just feel like 
almost all the questions are going to really be about the coronavirus at this point. Um, so, look, let's get back to normal. And then, actually, before we do that, I, I will say, I'll just, here's my very top line attitude on this. And I've kind of put stuff out there on Twitter, but I've tried not to be too much on social media uh, during this time. It, here's my big thing. And, and apparently there, even these, even my views are somewhat controversial, but the, the bold and aggressive thinking, that's what's going to be rewarded in this environment. You know, I've, I've, I thought I've made that pretty clear over the last two episodes. It sounds weird to say that now because now is not really the time to be thinking bold and big. Now is the time to be, sort of be hunkering down and not spreading the virus. But, you know, we're going to get to a moment probably four or five weeks from now where watching old fights is just not going to cut anymore. And I mean, for people like me, you know, everybody is having a different experience with this lockdown. So it's like, for people like me, I have a four-year-old and a seven-month-old. It's like, you you know, and, and my wife, quite, quite frankly, like, is working nonstop to help people, you know, and, and small businesses who are struggling in this environment. So it's just a much different experience for me to go through this virus in a quarantine world than for people who are single, uh, who might be really lonely and might be different for people who are a couple who can sort of enjoy each other's company, but don't have any kids for people who have older kids, uh, where they can spend some time with them. But, you know, Everyone is going through this differently. And quite frankly, that's why I'm recording on Friday, not Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Um, but so it, I don't want to make it feel controversial, but I just do want to say, like, there's going to be a lot of new paradigms that come out of this. There's going to be a lot of changes that are made that, are, that will be sort of de facto permanent coming out of this. Um, especially live sporting events. I mean, live sporting events, six to nine months is probably the short term. That's the best case scenario. It could be 18 months or even longer. You know, and so the people who come out of this and the leagues and the sports and the and just any content that comes out of this that can figure out the new ways to, you know, and it's, this is in every piece of content delivery. It's new ways to market it's new ways to produce it. It's new ways to present it on your TV. Um, and, it, and it could be fights. It could be NBA basketball. It could be, could be anything. But there's going to be new ways to do this stuff that come out. And it may be apparent to you as a viewer. It may not be. You may be looking at a product that you think is really similar to the old product. It's just done behind the scenes in a much different way. But big thinking is going to be rewarded here. That's those are that's my if if there's one takeaway that gets that comes from this regarding the coronavirus, that's kind of been my takeaway the whole time. Aggressive thinking, you know, Dana White's a great example of this. I think what he's doing, he comes off the way he delivers the message is very macho and probably offends a lot of people, but he's doing the right thing right now uh, to be thinking big and aggressive. So. Let's 
sort of end this and and and, and let's go into the, a quick review section where we talk a little bit more <clears throat> about this virus. And then the deep dive this week is sort of this boxing bubble thing that a lot of I've I've talked to a couple people about. A lot of there's been some online discussion about it. Obviously, this is all before the coronavirus, but I think it's fun to explore and it's a nice little long deep dive and. You know, hopefully it gets you thinking about other things besides historical fights and, and what's happening right now with the with this crazy virus. So review section, I think Showbox, which happened on Friday, March 13th from Hinkley, Minnesota, it's worth talking about for a second here. And I actually, I strongly encourage people to listen to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. My old colleagues, Kieran and Eric, interviewed Stephen Espinoza, and they talked about the show much better than I can here Um all I will say is I didn't miss the crowd that much. I think you can, if you watch it, and it did. It, look, it didn't do great ratings or anything like that. I, I don't think they're really worth talking about. For and I'll get to that in a second. But it, I, I think you were able to still really enjoy the fights without the crowd, and I think that's encouraging. And this again, this might be what it looks like a lot more in the future. Um. It's, it's worth mentioning, but I'd say listen to that interview, especially those guys did a great job interviewing Stephen Espinosa, and he gave a great interview to them. Uh, and he talked a lot about what to expect moving forward with Showtime. Um, again, when it comes to the ratings, the news was dominating the night, not live sports. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. So the, the Saturday, March 14th card from New York and on ESPN with Shakur Stevenson fighting Mariaga, that was canceled. Uh, also, the card from Oxen Hill, Maryland on FS1 with James Kirkland fighting Marcos Hernandez was canceled. Let's go over what the UFC did for a second on Saturday the 14th. They did <clears throat> a show from Brazil and basically took over ESPN programming for the day. I mean, I think this was a fight that was supposed to be on ESPN Plus, but what ESPN did was after Sports Center in the morning, they just replayed the Conor McGregor pay-per-view card from January. And then they showed this card in its entirety which was like six total hours, including the prelims uh, and the main event. So, I mean, we're we're talking nine total hours of of UFC that was on on Saturday on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. The six-hour broadcast, which was the every single live fight, the prelims, you know, the early prelims, the prelims, and then the main card, the six-hour broadcast ended up being the number 26-rated cable show of the day. It averaged 672,000 viewers. Uh, if you look at what UFC does for sort of its better shows on ESPN, that's a pretty low number. And I'm sure the instinct here was that the number should have been higher uh, because other networks were showing old games, you know, covering the virus. And actually, we've seen this. I don't know if people want to get into the ratings from what ESPN's done a couple things where they've shown old WrestleManias and old... Uh, boxing and, and older uh, UFC events. I don't know that that's really worth getting into. I mean, basically, the the, sh- the very short answer is I think boxing was in the four or five hundred thousand range. Uh, UFC was in the five or six hundred thousand range. WrestleMania got to like seven or eight hundred thousand. Um, not a whole lot of takeaway. They showed the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight where everybody kind of knew. You know, each event was individually different. I think a lot of people. <clears throat> watching WrestleMania uh, is a lot different because of the theatrics involved than watching what essentially was a blowout boxing fight. Uh, was a 50-50 fight going in that ended up being a blowout and then a competitive UFC card, you know. But back to the live event, 
you would think 672,000 viewers, kind of low for UFC. Look, this wasn't this, the, the highest level card for UFC. And I also think, you know, you're used to seeing UFC cards get in the top 10 constantly on cable. If you look at the top 25 cable shows, you got to remember this is still the beginning of the virus. All, almost all the top 25 cable shows were on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. Uh, there's maybe four or five that weren't, basically. And I think the lesson here is that the country wasn't ready for a distraction yet. And I, I'm not even sure we are right now as I talk. Um, I have, you know, anecdotally and personally, I've tried to limit the amount of news I watch. So it's it's just become too much. But I still we're still at the point in getting information where watching the news is more important to my wife and I than watching anything else. We're not binging shows. You know, we're maybe watching one show. Um, again, we have kids during the day and all that kind of other stuff. So it's a little bit different for us. But you know, one of the key takeaways here is that we're still in the phase of this where the news is really important. And I don't know whether it's one week from now, two weeks from now, four or five weeks from now, that will end. My tolerance for news is already going down and down and down. And I am ready for some live events. Um, and they will be coming. But, you know, to look back at ratings for this is just tough because there isn't, there aren't many good historical comps for this ever, you know. Um, the other cards... You know, there was supposed to be the Michael Conlon fight on St. Patrick's Day, Tuesday, March 17th. There was supposed to be the Dortico's Bredis fight on March 21st on DAZN. Both of these things were canceled. All right, let's go into the deep dive here. This week, the deep dive focuses on the question, are we in a boxing bubble? Which I think is a weird question to ask right now because no one knows what we're in at all right now with this virus. But... Let's just skip that and let's talk about some of the things that were affecting the industry at large and you know towards the <coughs> excuse me towards the end of 2019 towards the beginning of 2020 um, there have been massive changes that affected a lot of promoters and fighters within the industry there's all these questions with regards to is this healthy for the sport what is the healthiest position for the sport why is there so much money in the sport right now is Disown the big bad enemy because they're just pumping money into the boxing economy that's like fake money. Is one of the distributors going to be forced out? What's going on with Disown's global plan? How are Top Rank and PBC going to respond to it? How are ESPN and Fox and Showtime going to respond to it? Let's start by looking back for a second. And it's been a while since I've done one of these episodes where I analyze the deal. And I realize there's not really a deal here, but just sort of taking stock of the sport for a second. You know, before three years ago, boxing was a pay-per-view sport at the highest level and a pay cable sport just below that. Then we'd have to go down really far on the pay scale and, and still down another level or two or three or four to find Friday Night Fights, which, by the way, was done really well at that level. But the major point I'm trying to make here is that the model was pretty straightforward for boxing for like 25 or 30 years. HBO and Showtime paid really well to put individual fights on their respective networks. There were no such thing as exclusive network deals. 
though there were certainly areas where networks had friendly relationships with certain promoters. If you had a fighter breakthrough while fighting on, on one of these two pay cablers, they would become a pay-per-view star. That was the goal. The goal was to get your fighter onto pay cable. You know, start with either Tuesday night fights, Friday night fights, whatever the fight series was. Develop them. You know, get get them to the point where they win a big fight there. Get them onto pay cable. Develop them further there, and then eventually take them to pay-per-view. You know, for promoters, there were some major advantages to the system. I mean, the bigger promoters like Top Rank, Golden Boy, Don King, uh, would usually have pay-per-view fighters, and obviously. Uh, PBC as a content provider, um, sort of later on in this in this process. But uh, in terms of traditional promoters, like they they would have pay per view fighters, and they would get some dates out of the pay cablers because of their leverage with the big pay per view fighter. Sometimes they gave you a lot of great entertainment, a lot of great fights. Sometimes this was all just sort of clearly done to develop a fighter to the point where they could make the jump to pay per view, and it may or may not have been great. Smaller promoters could leverage a single fighter into dates and develop their smaller stable this way too. Main events did a really good job with this with a few fighters. Lou Devella obviously did a great job with this as well. He had a few guys he developed. Tom Loeffler, Gary Shaw, plenty of others. Uh, most people listening know this and got really used to this system as they watched boxing. <clears throat> and that whole system turned on its head a few years ago and now... You know, as has been said many times before, like there's more money in the sport than ever. It used to be that HBO and Showtime put together maybe at a combined budget of license fees somewhere in the 100 to 125 million range. You know, uh, maybe towards the end, that number wasn't even 100 million combined. Uh, you know, in, in HBO's heyday, it was probably close to 100 million just from HBO. I mean, look, they pay these fees on a fight-by-fight -fight basis. Now, ESPN supposedly is at 90-ish million for ESPN and ESPN+. Showtime and Fox combined together to give PBC around 100 million, maybe a little bit more. DAZN is pumping money into the sport, maybe 200 million a year. When anyone looks at how much more money is coming into the sport in such a short period of time, you automatically have to think, oh, we're ripe for a bubble here. Something's going to happen. And other conditions make this look like a bubble, too. Uh, you look at HBO, you know, especially, and then Showtime a lot, too. Like, they used to get really solid TV ratings. Ten years ago, HBO getting a million people to tune into a fight was the norm, not the exception. And the really big fights would get well above that. And Showtime wasn't doing that either. And you can look up articles where HBO had 19 of the top 20 viewed fights, like crazy stuff like that. And there's actually one, I think Kevin Ioli wrote it in like 2013, where HBO had 21 of the top 20 fight, 25 fights that year in terms of total viewership. But every single one of the top 25 drew at least a million viewers on Showtime and HBO. A Kodo fight got up to 1.6 million. I mean, given those kind of numbers, you'd expect boxing on Fox or ESPN to do way better than that because Fox and ESPN do better numbers than the pay cables for everything. Except like Sopranos, right? Or Game of Thrones or whatever. If you put Fox's numbers for average viewership on that list, they had a couple fights that came that you know would have come close to averaging two million viewers, but most of their fights are, are a lot closer to what pay cablers used to do. ESPN 
especially last year, once they made the clear you know decision to emphasize ESPN Plus more than linear, would struggle to have many fights at all on that list. Which is kind of crazy if you go back to 2011 and kind of look at the viewership numbers for some of Friday Night Fights on ESPN2. That was like a particularly great year for Friday Night Fights. I remember some of those. They were awesome. Um, they had they were getting several hundred thousand viewers, sometimes above five, six hundred thousand, you know, pretty regularly on that kind of a show. You know, you look at all this and you think to yourself, wow, like boxing is underperforming at these networks. You look at how the numbers dropped on Showtime last year from the year before and, and, and even from five or six years before that. You know, there were plenty of shows last year that only got two or three hundred thousand viewers, maybe four hundred thousand. You know, just in 2018, they were averaging, you know, they were regularly getting a lot closer to six, seven, eight hundred thousand viewers. And I don't want to get in the weeds on pure numbers here, but you can show statistics without understanding the context of everything that makes the case that the numbers are dropping precipitously right when more money is coming into the sport. And that's going to contribute to a bubble. And there's other arguments too, and you heard a lot of these, like, the fractured nature of the sport, exclusive contracts that I mentioned above, they're now the norm. Previously, they weren't the norm. You know, you can make a strong argument that the sport of boxing can only grow so much, and there's there's too much content on right now. I mean, I've even made, I've asked that question, uh, and I think everybody should be asking that question. I don't know if there's an answer for it right now. It's probably, there, there was probably too much boxing on at times. The audiences aren't quite there to support it because it's so fractured. Do these conditions really create a bubble, though? Like, what's a bubble anyways in, a, in, in sports, much less boxing? Um, I think if this was real estate, we might actually be in a bubble, but I'm not 100% sure it's a bubble for sports or boxing. Um. And I think, look, I'd probably argue we're not in a bubble, but we are in an era where there are some major risks being taken. And if the sport doesn't deliver, it could take a step back. I don't think that's a bubble, though. And, and I think that's having four different networks with four different goals. And they really are different. It's not all about viewership and for, for each of them, and it's not all about uh, simple metrics. And that's not a bubble. And I also think, look, this discussion isn't necessarily framed in the right way because as it, you know, at least as it stands right now for a few different reasons. You know, first of all, this never really gets mentioned with the zone, but... You know, there's a lot of people, and you, you know, Tom Hauser's written, written a great piece about this. There's a lot of people in boxing that think that DAZN is coming in and spending all this money to disrupt the marketplace. And they are, but not nearly to the level that they are getting blamed for or credited with, depending on who is giving out the narrative. I mean, there's some simple facts out here that aren't getting dis, you know, disseminated properly when you discuss this. Like the pay per view industry accounted for a lot of money over the past. 20 or 30 years for fighters. And that changed a lot in 2019 where we didn't have a significant pay-per-view fight. I don't think we had a single fight that broke 500,000 pay-per-view buys. First of all, let's just say like DAZN is putting in 200 million into the boxing ecosystem. That sounds like a lot of brand new money, but it's not all brand new money. Canelo was a legit pay-per-view star 
and no one accounts for the idea that DAZN paid Canelo at least $70 million out of that 200 in 2019. So basically, Canelo left the pay-per-view business, which is totally funded by consumers, not networks, and went to DAZN, which I guess is partially funded by consumers, but obviously being propped up by a Ukrainian billionaire. So that's not really $200 million of new money. Let's just use rough math here. If you take off $70 million for Canelo's fights, that's more like $125 or $130 million of new money. And that, even that doesn't tell the full story, because Anthony Joshua's fight at MSG also cost his own like $30 million in a license fee, something like that. I'm not sure exactly how much. I've heard between 30 and 35. Let's just say it's 30. Take that off, and all of a sudden we're down to $100 million in new money, because Anthony Joshua wasn't coming over to the U.S. unless DAZN was footing the bill. He was happily printing money over in the U.K. on pay-per-view there. Now, $100 million is still a lot of new money, but it's actually kind of in line with what other TV deals are actually doing right now. Because remember, it's for two promoters. Now, maybe it's a little bit more than that. I don't know exactly how much it is. Golden Boy is obviously getting some money, and Eddie Hearn's getting some money, and Eddie Hearn is clearly getting significantly more money than Golden Boy. But even let's just say Fox is 50 or 60 million, Showtime's at 40 to 50 million, ESPN is 90 million, but that's both for ESPN and ESPN Plus. And 100 million is still a lot. But then when you factor in, Fox is doing four pay per views a year right now that they're pretty happy with for the most part. Let's be generous and say that Fox had a total of 1.5 million pay per view buys last year and just do old school back of the napkin math on pay-per-views and say they went for 75 bucks a pop and the promotion got half, that's over $55 million in revenue just for Fox's pay-per-views for PBC. Showtime and ESPN are working towards getting in on that as well. Obviously, uh, ESPN did one. Showtime plans on doing, or they planned on doing two this year, and ESPN planned on doing more. And obviously, ESPN worked with Fox on one of them. But even if there's 1.5 million total pay-per-view sales, that's not where paper, the pay-per-view market was in most years, you know, in the last decade or two. In most years, it was probably closer to 2 or 3 million in total sales. And, but pay-per-view is extremely volatile, so it's tough to measure. I mean, my overall point here is that DAZN took the largest pay-per-view star out of that ecosystem, and an adequate replacement has yet to be established. So basically, DAZN is injecting less, quote-unquote, new money into the sport than it actually really seems like. And also, the Fox deal is worth nominally, let's say, $50 million to PBC, but it's really worth a lot more once the pay-per-view portion of it is counted. When you look at things on a macro level that way, it feels like less of a bubble. Let's talk about some of the other elements of this whole discussion. You know, the other part of that is initial discussion, HBO and Showtime were, by the end of it, only two or three years ago, they were putting $100 million or less combined into the sport. Let's look at that a bit deeper. You know, that might be true. That also doesn't tell the whole story. Most significantly, I mean, PBC was putting on a ton of boxing on other networks during the last five years. In fact, 2019 was the first year PBC didn't have a time buy on at least one network. Even as late as 2018, they were still doing time buys on Fox. That time buy money, especially four or five years ago, was super significant and rarely gets talked about when people talk about 
the money that was in boxing. You know, and before that, HBO's budget was even higher. Even when I joined HBO in 2010, the budget for boxing was significantly higher than what it was when I left in 2017. I mean, it might have even been over triple what it was in the final year. And here's the thing. It's really tough to put an actual number on what PBC was spending per year on time buys and how it affected the market for fighter pay, but it was a lot. It was a lot. And let me go on a little tangent here for a second because I want to be clear on something here. PBC's time buy and DAZN have both injected a ton of cash into the system and neither seemed sustainable in the beginning. But both have come to the point where a version of what they're trying to do ends up working. Like, you can give PBC crap all day long for wasting money in their time buy, and I, along with many other people, have done that. I've done that. But they came out of it with a network deal at Fox and a pay-per-view model at, you know, with Fox that I'm sure Fox is pretty happy with. I'm sure Fox would say the network ratings have been soft, but they love the pay-per-view. I'm sure PBC would, would say they want to improve the network ratings, and get some protection on the pay-per-view guarantees to their fighters because there's no doubt they've had a, you know, a couple that were money losers. I've talked about that in the past. But they're probably pretty happy overall with where things are headed. While there are things to criticize, this thing has worked out well enough and shown enough potential that PBC is going to have suitors for their next deal if Fox doesn't want it. There's just no doubt about it. Now, I, don't, I think the big question for everybody is, is how much money did it take to get there? But that's not what we're really talking about right now. In a lot of ways, who cares? <clears throat> With the zone, there's no doubt they, they'd have wanted a larger subscriber, you know, base and larger subscriber numbers for fighters like Canelo when they thought, and maybe they overestimated Anthony Joshua's impact in the United States. But look, before this virus, they were approaching a million subscribers. That's nothing to sneeze at. And more importantly, I think they learned a lot in year one not too dissimilar to what PBC learned with some of their time by money. Did DAZN reset the market for fighter pay? Yes. But they didn't do it at the very top. I mean, I firmly believe they are underpaying Canelo. They're definitely overpaying the next year down. The Golovkins of the world, the Canelo opponents like Danny Jacobs or Kovalev, the shows like Jacobs versus Chavez Jr. Those are the shows that, you know, might be marginal pay-per-views that they're overpaying for. They're also overpaying for titleists that they had to bring aboard early. You know, like the Tevin Farmers of the world, those guys. But that's starting to change, and not just at DAZN. I think DAZN will always be willing to shell out for a quote-unquote big pay-per-view level event, and they'll take some risks to do that. But their normal shows, we may starting, you know, we, we may be starting to see the prices for those shows normalize a little bit and get in line with the type of, of pricing that the top rank and PBC are paying for their for their inventory. We definitely aren't there yet, but I think DAZN now is an updated to realize that the filler shows aren't moving the needle on subscribers for them. It doesn't make sense to overpay for those. And that could be part of the future for DAZN. And we're seeing signs of cost controls put in place. Like part of the reason BJ Saunders took so long to get announced as Canelo's opponent is that he's getting paid well, but he's not getting paid Kovalev or Jacobs well. If you talk with managers or promoters that co-promote them, 
they're still <clears throat> paying well for opponents on regular cards, but not like they were six or nine months ago. You know, while we're on DAZN, I've talked a lot about them going sort of global on, on the Sports Illustrated podcast a few weeks ago. I'd encourage everyone to listen to that. I'm not going to go through everything on that here, but I think let's go over some of the basics of it because it does affect this bubble conversation. DAZN is expanding from the eight or nine markets that they were in to over 200 markets. And basically, you can get it anywhere in the world at this point. I think this is a big swing and a big risk because this is sort of the move that either justifies the big money they're paying for people like Canelo or AJ, or it's going to show them that boxing isn't the sport to do this with. It's one thing to say that you're getting seven or 800,000 watching a Canelo fight on zone instead of on pay-per-view. It's a whole different thing to say that you have 15 or 20 million subscribers worldwide watching him. And I think a number like that is not far-fetched. It might not happen in this fight in, in, you know, whenever it happens in June. It might not happen for Golovkin 3, if that's in September or whenever that is. But it's totally plausible that within the next few fights, we can start to get there. Traditionally, the foreign rights for fights aren't highly lucrative, but that's mostly because of a lack of infrastructure in the sport. And while big-time events can get good money, no one has tried to monetize the sport like this. The beauty of this system is DAZN is giving people two options. One is month-by-month -month option, which is more akin to the traditional event-by-event -event model, and it's slightly different. But obviously the year-long subs are the goal here. Big picture is that DAZN isn't monetizing an event based on how much money they can get for Canelo in one fight. They're trying to get subscribers who then pay money every single month. So even if they sign up for Canelo and don't immediately unsubscribe, that's a big win for DAZN. If they do unsubscribe, DAZN will get a chance to try and win them back over because they now have a direct relationship with the consumers. They know exactly who these people are. That's the other part of this is important. I didn't really get into that when I talked about it previously, but DAZN is going to accumulate more and more data and better data worldwide for combat sports than anyone ever has. So even if this isn't profitable in the first year or two, they should have the data to figure, figure out exactly how to do it. There are lots of risks, including the biggest one, which I've said, like, this is boxing. No one has done it before or even attempted to do it, so it may not work out. Boxing's kind of a crazy sport to try to do it in. Um, they're going to be heavily dependent on earned media, and PR, rather than paid media, to enter each market. There's definitely markets that are going to be a challenge. Infrastructure is a challenge. Piracy is a challenge. But this is a logical risk to take. And if it works, then DAZN won't be, quote-unquote, overpaying for these events. Everyone in Hollywood thought Netflix was overpaying for content. But right now, they have a subscriber base and a market share to the point where they are only overpaying for content under the old system. What does this mean for the bubble conversation? Well, DAZN is clearly paying more money to boxers to fight right now than they are getting in subscription revenue. But if there is ma massive gross, uh, growth in the worldwide sub-numbers, that concept of DAZN's financials will change. They can keep doing the same thing they've been doing, and instead of bleeding money, they have a very viable path to profitability soon. I mean, I'm sure they'll want to keep expanding and get into other sports, but if boxing can be the driver to to sustain, you know, a big worldwide sub-base, 
then spending the money on boxing that they're doing right now will no longer be viewed as crazy and unsustainable. It'll be totally justified. You know, I don't know when the time is to figure out those exact sub-numbers, especially in the environment that we're in right now. Uh, but I would give them a pretty good percentage chance of being able to pull this off. It's not even close to a sure thing, especially with the uncertainty that we're having right now. Um, but I think they, can, I think they can do it. And if they do it, it's no longer crazy to "quote unquote" overpay fighters if you can monetize it that way. Well, let's go back to the bubble conversation, not just to zone, but for everyone else too. What are some other things that people in the industry are talking about? I mean, like it seems like Showtime had one foot out the door. The more and more I thought about it, though, the more it seems unlikely especially now with the uncertainty from this virus. I think 2019, you know, I've said this before, I think 2019 was a really weird year for them for a lot of reasons, including that massive overpay to keep Wilder on the network for the Brazil fight. But in a real corporate sense, if you're Viacom, like, do you really want boxing to go away? It's still relatively cheap compared to a lot of other stuff. You just made a move to put Bellator under Espinosa, and you got a streaming service that you're about to put a lot of emphasis on. Like, you may need to figure out how you want Showtime Boxing to function, whether you want, want it to be competing on the absolute A level. But you probably, you probably still want a version of boxing as an option for whatever this, the Viacom streaming service is or whatever Showtime ends up being. And honestly, you probably still want it around operating at the highest level. You can point to the long institutional knowledge you have about the sport, and you can also point to the notion that boxing hasn't done great on free TV. You know, Fox is happy with the pay-per-view, but maybe if they go too aggressively on pay-per-view and start guaranteeing fighter salaries, and I've heard that that's what happened for Wilder's purse, if Fox guaranteed it for the fight against Fury, maybe they lost some money on it. Maybe they don't want to be in that business. I think they're still really excited about pay-per-view, trust me, but maybe they've seen some of the risks now, if they do, if that's the case, where they guaranteed the, the salary. I mean, Showtime had some of the best years in the last decade after PBC put a lot of, you know, free fights on network TV. If I'm an exec over at Showtime, I'm probably making that argument higher up the corporate ladder. It's a good one to make. And they're going to need combat sports to succeed with Bellator. Also, post-virus, like Showtime might be in a better position than Fox to get better fights on the network. Boxing is their number one sport and will get the best treatment there. Fox has a whole world of other events that will need dates, and we don't know how that's going to work out. I mean, if there's no boxing, or if there's no baseball, Fox might need more boxing. If every other sport rebounds well, boxing gets some of the lower ratings on Fox and it won't get the biggest and best slots. If they can broadcast boxing in the fall, again, if the NFL's not around yet or delayed or something like that, boxing's going to get prime slots on Fox. There's just so much uncertainty. But I think that uncertainty means that at Showtime you should continue doing it. Despite the lower ratings you've seen, I think all that is explainable. So maybe DAZN and Showtime keep going at it and do it with renewed vigor. Is it a bubble if no one breaks through with a great success, but everybody keeps plowing ahead? 
I've always thought that it's like a virtual certainty that within a year or two, someone will drop out, but maybe they won't. Maybe the market outside of boxing for live TV keeps sustaining what we're seeing right now. There may, there may not be huge gains on the TV contracts in boxing, but there might be. I mean, we're seeing sports like golf, bull riding, and tons of other sports that aren't considered to be in that quote-unquote top four league type event sports. We're seeing huge gains there. You know, I still think it's, it's you know, we're, we're getting close to where I still think it's probably likely that someone won't make it in the next year or two. This virus could have delayed that by a year or two, though. There's still four networks, again, with four different business models. They aren't all dependent on the same metrics for success. So I would say we aren't in a bubble. And even if someone drops out, I still wouldn't call that a bubble. Like, what's the worst case scenario here if we see one drop out? Is it that Showtime exits the sport in, in 2021 and maybe DAZN's experiment fails too and they exit the sport a year later or something like that? And I'm just talking like clean exits for these places, no lingering like, what would that mean to the people who depend on Showtime and DAZN or whatever? I mean, look, PBC wouldn't be thrilled if Showtime just dropped out, but they still do have the Fox contract. And that one wasn't super long. I mean, even if Showtime were out after 2020, PBC would basically have two years with the Fox deal to get their ratings up. And you'd think they'd be able to do that because they'd be able to make better quality fights top to bottom. Because obviously they had 12 cards a year to do on Showtime that they can now condense and only put their best stuff on Fox. Maybe some casuals would tune in more regularly with less overall content to choose from each week, especially if it's better curated. I think while there would probably be some major bumps in the road, you know, I mean, there's a bunch of PBC fighters who have come to expect a certain level of pay for a certain level of fight, and that might unravel a little bit, but... Ultimately, I think the pay-per-views would be stronger. I think the Fox cards top to bottom would be stronger. I think the FS1 cards top to bottom would be stronger. You'd think that in the long run, that might even be healthy because PBC would be able you know, to make the case for a much stronger deal at Fox. That's obviously taking a very positive look at, at what this be- could become for PBC. But right now, I mean, they're looking at a world where they have four, po- four Fox pay-per-views per year two Showtime pay-per-views for year, 10 big Fox shows, 12 Showtime shows, and 12 FS1 cards. That's just so much boxing for one group to handle. So yeah, short-term, it's a big-time hit on the revenue. But if they worked hard, they can make a lot of that up and have a more quality product with one distributor. And here's the key. They'd have to approve their viewership, which internally you know, Fox probably considers soft, And they'd have to show improvement in pay-per-view, which Fox is happy with, you know, if Showtime were to leave. But the worst, you know, there's a pathway where this isn't even all that bad. The worst case scenario is obviously that a lot of their fighters don't take less money to get in the ring. And then they aren't able to make those better fights on Fox. But I think they'd be able to, to weather the storm and get a better deal at Fox and ultimately come out okay. And even... I mean, look, I'll get to this in the end. I think the Fox and ESPN deals are pretty solid. But even if Fox loses interest and doesn't want boxing back, but Showtime stays, I mean, I, th- I still think it could be a similar, you know, they, they would have to figure out a way to get more fights just because they have so many fighters. And, and going 
from sort of 26 shows on Fox down to just 12 on Showtime, you know, that'd be tough. They'd have to work something out. But I think they could do it. I mean, you know, they they are in a position where even if they lose one of their distributors, I still think they could come out okay. I mean, look, from DAZN, we've talked a little bit about from what a fiscal sense it is. You know, if DAZN leaves, and trust me, there's still a market for Canelo on pay-per-view. I am one of the few people out there saying that Canelo would likely make more money if he left DAZN. He's being underpaid. What else would happen on a top level if DAZN went away? I mean, Eddie Hearn would probably just go back to focusing on the U.K. market. I mean, we wouldn't see a lot of these one-offs. That they're paying, you know, they're paying really well for these Ramirez Hooker fights, you know, Mikey Garcia, Jesse Vargas, those types of things. I love those. We would probably, we would probably, you know, hardcore fans would probably miss those. What would really affect the marketplace is that title holders, which I think on a more regular basis, title holders who got paid good money to come over and fight on the zone, like the Demetrius Andres, the Tevin Farmers of the world, some of the lower weight class guys that Hearn scooped up, like the MJ Akhmadayev, Danny Roman, Chocolatito. Those guys would struggle to get the money they're getting right now. Golden Boy would have to find a new destination for their company, which has some talented fighters, you know, in it. You know, the big question is obviously, is Canelo still a part of that roster or not? And, you know, by the time this would actually happen. But look, Virgil Ortiz, Ryan Garcia, like, these are guys, they're sought-after fighters. And there's some big, you know... There are some big questions there, but I mean, there's other things like DAZN has essentially been giving a lot of the smaller promoters excellent paydays for their B-sides that Eddie Hearn needs. I mean, that's a big question, and it's really a, almost a discussion for a different deep dive. But the second tier, you know, I don't even like to call them second tier because they have some great fighters. The smaller promoters that don't have exclusive networks deals right now, they're they're depending on DAZN to pay some big-time fees for their fighters to step up. Uh, you know, PBC and, and, and Top Rank still uses them every now and then, but it's not quite the same. When you take a step back and look at everything, though, how much does it really affect the landscape? Like, if this DAZN global thing doesn't work out, well, Canelo goes back, you know, to pay-per-view, probably doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't probably doesn't even need a promoter to do it. Triple G probably retires or holds out for a big payday from someone where he has leverage. Maybe Charlo on pay-per-view for PBC, something like that. Guys like Mikey Garcia are kind of in a similar situation. He's younger. Maybe he doesn't retire yet, but it's like, okay, figure out a way to do Lomachenko on pay-per-view or another fight you know, on pay-per-view against one of those younger up-and-coming guys. But a lot of Hearns guys are Brits. They could just go back to fighting in the UK. The ones that aren't, like they're really good, bigger prospects, like they would get scooped up for deals that, you know, they basically they, the younger American fighters, they're going to go to PBC or top rank. I mean, the pay-per-view market certainly would undergo a bit of, you know, of transformation. Probably it would come back in a real way. But the guys that get hurt are those lower-level champs or contenders who are making good six figure paydays, maybe even seven figures who there might, there's not going to be a market like that for their services. And 
Hauser wrote about this concept for DAZN, where he really got into that thing I spoke about up top, where DAZN has just put a lot of money into the sport, but not a whole lot of people have benefited from it. You know, my guy John Nash has written a lot about this too. Like, he's been all over it as a journalist. Like, the market for fighter pay at the top has never been stronger, um, you know, in terms of for champs, basically. And I do, like I said, I do think that's starting to change a little bit. I do think it is, you know. But that'd be one of the things that happens if, if, if DAZN went away. But again, I think it's like, it's not, it goes back to what I was saying up top. It's not taking $200 million out of the ecosystem. It's just not. Like, Canelo goes right back to pay-per-view. Probably makes more money than he's making per fight at DAZN. There's markets for a lot of the, a lot of the other top guys. They'll find markets for, you know, they'll get scooped up quickly. I mean, ESPN, ESPN Plus with Top Rank, they're just going to keep on rolling. I haven't really made them a large part of this discussion, but in, in a lot of ways, it's what I described, you know, about with Fox. Like ESPN, <clears throat> ESPN and Fox are just going to sit there and think like, you know, and, and it's really top rank at PBC. Like we just have this list of fighters that are either with Hearn exclusively or tangentially, and we're going to scoop them up if DAZN goes out. I mean, if you compare ESPN to Fox, again, I think ESPN and Fox have the two most solid deals. ESPN's deal goes out further than Fox. So PBC actually has a chance to improve their year-over-year cash flow faster than Top Rank does if they can demand, you know, if they can command more money for it. Um, but it's also, and I can't remember who put this out, I think I saw this on Twitter, Top Rank has actually closed a gap on PBC in terms of fighters who have world titles, um, and they have a lot of the top-level prospects who are starting to come of age, like, this ain't a bubble for top rank with ESPN. Like, this is, if anything, they're the company who's going to come in and buy all the distressed assets once they become more affordable. And I think if DAZN is going out but Showtime and, and, and Fox are staying in, PBC is going to do the exact same thing. And, I mean, my overall point here is I don't really think we're in a bubble, especially like the real estate market was in 2008 how we've seen with some tech and internet, you know, bubbles have come and gone. There have been a couple of those. And who knows what we're in with this virus. But I think we're in a very strong boxing economy that has been propped up well in the last seven or eight years with an inf you know, by an influx of investment. With PBC, the Waddell and Reed money, whatever DAZN is doing with the whole Ukrainian billionaire money, like that's, that's a lot of... You know, not all that money has been well spent, to be clear, and that makes it seem like a bubble, but it's also led to really sustainable deals with new networks and some responsible growth. I think the Fox and ESPN deals, to me, they're indicator, indicators of larger, healthier change. Even though you look on them and you say, wow, those ratings aren't great compare, compared to what they were, but then you say that doesn't account for what's changed in television. And I think what's about to change again with this virus. Maybe a recession is coming. Potentially major changes are coming. But I think that's going to be more affected by what happens with the virus. And, you know, 
I don't want to get into that right now. It's been so joyous to sit here and talk about something not related to the virus. But look, when you talk about moving forward, you have to consider the virus. So I'm not going to do that this episode. I'm basically going to end it right here. Not do a preview section. God, I really, it, I mean, it's, it's a bummer, I guess, for this part of the podcast. And I love doing my little preview section and talking about all the odds for the fights coming up and everything like that. And, and that's not going to happen for a while. Um, but I think there is, there's room for optimism. I will talk about that next episode. I always try to look at the brighter side of things while keeping it realistic. I hope you guys enjoyed this conceptual conversation. I got one or two others, like I said, up top that I want to do like this. If you have any suggestions or stuff that you care about that could be a deeper question in a big episode, like let me know. But I also think by two weeks from now, we'll have enough information that I can probably do another, you know, a coronavirus update episode. Um, But we'll talk about that then. For now, quarantine is real. You know, it's weird because there's there's my daily life, which I'm, you know, especially with a seven-month-old kid, I'm really scared of this virus. But I also think your personal circumstances shouldn't, you know, and, and obviously you should social distance. And, and if there is a quarantine, stay in. And if state athletic commissions give certain guidelines, you need to follow those. But it goes back to what I said up top. I think aggressive behavior will be rewarded in this scenario. So you also have to think bold and think aggressive. And we'll talk about that next episode. For now, (laughs) I mean, do what you can to make it through this time. I hope for people who've lost their jobs. um, You know, I might, I think I might talk a little bit about that next episode. There is. It appears, as we're recording this, the bill seems to have passed, and it appears if you are an independent contractor, there are ways for you to get um, money from this. You know, maybe if I get more information on that, I'll talk about that next episode. Um, But anyways, look, have a great weekend. Do what you can to stay safe in this time. It's a weird time. Stay sane, too. Sometimes that's hard. Um... And we'll talk to you guys in two weeks.